You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. Right, lovely to be with you. We're going to continue in our series in 1 Samuel. Uh, what it means for us to be after God's heart. It's so helpful to go through these narratives, um, these true historical accounts, and see uh, what can we learn from these for ourselves. You know, these are a part of our own Judeo-Christian history. Uh, we share this heritage with um, Israel. Our Savior came from Israel. And uh, so these narratives are really, really uh, insightful to us historically and otherwise, but also uh, there's an, uh, so much for us to, to glean and gain from uh, digging into what we learn about the character of God and the character of humanity from these verses as well. So we're going to do that in uh, just a moment. I was uh, just having a conversation with God in the worship about what would I really want from this message? What would I love to see the fruit or consequence as, as we preach, you're, you're praying, you're helping people and that people's lives will be uh, changed, they'll be closer to God as a consequence. And uh, um, I think I would want uh, sort of the fruit of this message to be that we really take, we learn what it means to take God more seriously. Okay, uh, so I just want to have that sort of the lens through which you're looking at as, um, as you hear my words and just think just how seriously... God really loves us, and how seriously we need to take God in His holy character. So we'll be looking. At, I want that would be great fruit for me at the end of this message. You're saying, you know, God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I want to press in here. I want to take you more seriously on these things. And uh, the uh, theme of the message today is what does repentance look like? And um, we're going to dig into this together, looking at these uh, narratives in 1 Samuel 6 and 7. We've been hearing about the birth of Samuel, dedicated to God, serving. We've just been dedicating a little baby and someone prayed. It would be like, uh, like, like Samuel, dedicated to God, serving God in the tabernacle. Eli was the chief priest at the time in the tabernacle. His sons were not very godly guys and uh, they did evil in the sight of God. And uh, during this time, the Israelites found themselves in a vicious battle with the Philistines, the enemies of God, which they lose. They're defeated by their enemy. Eli's sons were killed. And the Ark of the Covenant is carried away by the enemy. The Ark of the Covenant represents the very center for Israel in terms of their identity in God. It represented for them the very presence of God. They knew that without the presence of God, you couldn't really tell them apart from other people. But here, this is the, the presence of God was with them. And now the presence of God had been taken from them. This was a disaster of the highest order. And Eli, as soon as he heard this news, he collapsed and died. And so last week we heard about how the Philistines took the ark and put it in their own temple. And from that moment on, it was bad news for them. Everybody started getting sick. Their own gods kept falling over. And you don't mess with the presence of God. And uh, their city became so cursed that they sent the ark away. And this is where we pick the story up in chapters 6 and 7. We haven't got the time to read the whole narrative. We're going to read elements of this narrative that illustrate this issue of repentance to us. But they sent the ark away with guilt offerings to appease God. And as they sent it away with a couple of oxen, they were watching to see where it went. And they said, well, if it goes over this way, 
then actually all this bad stuff that's been happening to us was just chance. It was just bad luck. You know, but if it goes that way towards the people of Israel, then uh, I think we can conclude that the hand of God has been against us. So they sort of have a little bit of a gamble with God on this. And indeed, the oxen go straight over to uh, this place that we hear, what's it called? Um, um, Beth Shemesh. And the people of Israel were overjoyed that once again, uh, the Ark of the Covenant was among them. But they took a few liberties with it. And some people, you know, wow, you know, we haven't seen this for a while. Let's have a look. Oh, here it is. You can just imagine that, can't you? You know, let's have, let's have a quick look. And they sort of had a little peep inside, and as a result, 70 of them died. Um, you don't mess with the holiness of God. You just don't mess with it in that way. And they took to liberties, and they were struck down. So they thought, well, what are we going to do with this thing? So they sent it off to this tiny little place, Kerioth Jerim, left it with one family. A bit of an awesome responsibility. Oh, you look after the presence of God for us. <laughs> you know? and, uh, and they left it there for 20 years while they were sort of lamenting all their bad fortune and so on and so forth, until eventually Samuel leads the people of God to repent of their godless ways and turn their hearts fully back to God. And then uh, the Philistines come up against them again, but this time they're defeated. So what can we learn? This is a helpful narrative, uh, but what these two chapters show us are several different ways in which people handle the critical matter of repentance in their lives. And we're going... Uh, shortly, we're going to look at four different incidents in this narrative where people deal with sin and the glory of God and their repentant attitude to that in different ways. And uh, in ways that also we can be drawn to do as well. Now, here's the rub, okay? Let me just check how I'm doing for time. Right, here's the rub. The rub is this. Your attitude to sin... My attitude to sin will tell us a great deal about your attitude to God. My attitude to God. Okay, so I'm including myself in this. All right? Actually, our, the, the, what, how seriously we take sin in our lives will tell yourself how seriously you take God in your life. It's a very, very simple equation. If you don't take God very seriously, you're not worried about sin. If you don't take sin very seriously, you're not that bothered about God. Okay? People who take God seriously take sin very seriously. Okay? So hence back to the beginning of my uh, comments earlier. What would be the fruit of this message if I felt this message was going to be helpful for people is that at the end of the day they take God more seriously. The reason that I want to deliver this message, not only because I tend to get all the, the uncomfortable messages when they come around, because then I'm away for a few weeks and then uh, uh, you know, I won't get beaten up by people, but also because actually helping us come to terms with sin and to repent and get our lives right with God is, uh, is one of the most loving and kind things I can, I can do in serving you in your relationship with Jesus. It's not sort of, I'm not here to beat anybody up. I'm not here to punish people. I'm not here to put a guilt trip on people. I'm here to say, look, hey, you know, there are two things about God that it's very, very important for us to understand. One, God is a holy God. He's a holy God. 
and he can tolerate no sin. He hates sin. Sin, there is no sin in God. So sin can only come from our own rebellious nature or from the devil. And I don't want to do the devil's work for him. If I'm sinning, I'm doing the devil's work for him. And I'm rebelling against God and saying, God, your ways are not good. God is good. God is holy. God is love. He says, how do people, how do I want people to know what I'm like? I'm going to tell you what I'm like. I am love. All right? I am love. Now, if you genuinely take God seriously, that he is love, then you will be delighted to know that if ever there's a disagreement between you and God about some sort of course of behavior or action or attitude where your conscience is not at rest, where people are going, oh, are you sure? Oh, dear. And you're thinking, I'm wondering if this is the right thing to do. And as you deliberate on this, it comes to your mind that it isn't what God wants for you. Then if you take God seriously and you know that he loves you, you'll know that he only has the best for you. Yeah? He only has the best for you. The devil's whole argument to Adam and Eve was, no, nah, God's holding out on you. All right? Why does he say you can't take that? Oh, he's holding out on you. And they believed the devil that God, who is love, would have anything but the best for them. Okay? So, if we want to come to terms with sin and repentance, we have to come to terms and embrace with our whole hearts that God loves you. Yeah? Amen. <laughs> I heard more of an amen when we were talking about our money in our workplace, and less of an amen when we were reassuring ourselves that God has the best for us because he loves us. Amen. He loves us, okay? He only has the best for us. And God is a holy God. He can tolerate no evil. He can tolerate no sin. We'd be vaporized in his presence if we were with him, uh, carrying sin into his uh, presence in that way. So we've got to start to take this stuff seriously, okay? God is loving. He wants the best for us. He knows better than we do what is good for us. God is holy. He says he wants us to live a holy life. He says, be holy because I'm holy. He wants us to live a holy life as well. That's his appetite. That's what he saved us for. We've been made in his image. We're fallen and we've been redeemed. And at the cross, Jesus Christ has dealt with the penalty of sin. Sin should have separated us from God forever. But at the cross, Jesus Christ dealt with the penalty of sin. Jesus Christ at the cross dealt with the power of sin. Before you gave your trust to Jesus Christ, you were a slave to sin. You had no choice, the Bible tells us. You had to go where sin leads. And sin leads to destruction and separation from God. But Jesus has delivered us. From the curse of sin. He's delivered us from the penalty and the power of sin. And he is delivering us from the presence of sin. Day by day we are being conformed to his likeness. Day by day we can be purging our lives from all of the toxins of sin. Of our own poor attitudes and previous behavior. Of the attitude and behavior of others against us. We can be purging ourselves of this stuff. And becoming rinsed. And cleansed, become clean, and become more and more like Jesus, which is our destiny, because we're made in his image. Amen.
You know, Jesus is this wonderful first fruit in creation where the divine nature and humanity comes together in this beautiful mystery. And we will be like him. Divinity and humanity coming together. That's, that's where we're going. That's what, when we say we want to follow Jesus, this is what we're saying. We say we want to be like God. We don't want to behave like the devil. don't want to behave in my own rebellious nature. I want to behave like Jesus because that's my destiny. That's what I've been made for, and that's the best thing for me. So do we take sin seriously? If we take God seriously, we're going to be serious with sin in our life. Without repentance from sin, there is no salvation. It's just very, very important to be clear about that. It is impossible to be a Christian without repentance. Jesus, Paul, Peter, they went about preaching that we should repent. Repentance is vital for the Christian. The only hope for us is the gospel of grace. And the Bible has nothing to say to the man or the woman who has not repented. So I trust as I speak, that you are able to call to mind a moment. It could have been a road to Damascus moment. It could have been the culmination of a long process of of getting to know what God was like. But there has to have come a point in your life as a mature reasoning adult when you were able to say, I repent of my rebellious, sinful behavior against you and you alone have I sinned, God. You're a holy God. You're a loving God. And I'm going to turn away from this behavior and put my trust and confidence in Jesus Christ, who through his perfect obedience and through his death and resurrection and ascension has conquered sin and death forever. Okay, Not because of my righteous acts, not because I'm behaving well, but because of the perfect righteousness of Jesus, I come to you, God. I come to you now. I turn away from my sinful behavior, and I turn to you. I want to surrender my life to you. If you are a Christian, you have to have gone through that process of thought. Somehow, not necessarily all the, those sort of words. If, if you're sat here today thinking, Morris, I can remember that day. I, I remember that season in my life when I came to realize I need to do business with God and repent of my sinful ways and turn to Christ put my trust in him. If you can remember that day, well, hallelujah. If you can't, <laughs> if you're sitting there thinking, you know, Morris, I'm not sure. I'm trying to think when that, did that, did I do that? Did I ever, did I come to God and say, God, here I am. I repent. I turn away from my foolish, selfish, sinful, self-governing behavior and I surrender to you. And I put myself in your hands. I fully trust in everything that Jesus has obtained for me at the cross. And now my life is not my own. It belongs to you. Well, look, hey, the most loving and kind thing I can say to you today is, please do that. Nail it. Don't be in any doubt. Don't drift into Christianity. You've drifted in. These are nice people. Like the music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hopefully my bank account will go up now. Oh no, they're asking for me. They're asking me for money. Oh, dear, 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 dear. I won't tell them. About, Ooh. No, 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 no. Don't drift into Christianity. Repent and be saved. Amen. Anybody here repented and been saved?
If you're not sure, do it. Sin is a terrible power. Everyone who's ever lived is a victim of sin. Sin brings a penalty. Sin has uh, power. Sin is a presence. Jesus deals with all of these. In order to repent, we've got to recognize that we have sinned. We've got to recognize exactly what we have done. There are three terms the Bible uses for sin. It's helpful to unpick these. One is transgression. Have you heard that word? Because we tend to think transgression. There's three words I want to explain. Transgression, iniquity, sin. And we tend to see them as interchangeable. In a sense, they are, but each three have a slightly different definition. It's helpful to hear. Transgression means a rebellion. A rebellion against the will of God. That's what transgression means. When we speak about our transgressions, we're speaking about the fact that we think we know better than God. And so we're rebelling against him. So no, no. You know, I know better, even though I knew it was wrong. Even though I knew it was wrong, I still went ahead and did it. That's rebellion. It's transgression. The second word the Bible uses to describe our godless behavior is iniquity. You've heard that term. Iniquity is an act that is twisted or bent. It's not straight. Okay, our iniquitous behavior is foul. It's, it's been twisted. Yeah? A perversion. A foul thing. And sin speaks about missing the mark, not living as we should. God says, be holy as I am holy. I want you to live like this. I want you to live like Royalty, live up to your high calling, the Bible says. Now you're children of God, live up to that high calling. And when we fall short of that, it's called sin. We've fallen short of the, the appropriate standards God has for our lives. We've fallen short. We need to take responsibility for that. Now, there are many, many false gospels out there. One I just want to touch upon because I find it particularly irritating um, so a few months ago, I was preaching in a New Frontiers church, as it happens, and someone came up to me afterwards and said, why do you teach people that rubbish? I said, well, it tends to catch your attention when someone says that. You know. Okay, what rubbish am I teaching? All that stuff about having to go groveling back to God and saying sorry all the time. And I thought, well, okay. Um, and he said, you know, the fact, you know, Jesus died for our sins at the cross. It's done. It's finished. He's forgiven us. You know, we need to live in our forgiveness and not just keep going back groveling to God saying sorry all the time. And I'm thinking, oh, you have monumentally missed the point here. You know, this is a false gospel that you're sharing with me here. What he's saying basically is that you have got absolutely no responsibility for your behavior whatsoever. I'm glad I'm not married to you, I said. <laughs> I mean, he was a bloke, so it was, uh, yeah. But <clears throat> I'm glad that if I was a woman, I was not married to him, that he felt he didn't have to in any way take any responsibility for his behavior that was short of the mark. I think that shows someone who is not taking the holiness of God seriously. Yeah? When you say, no, it doesn't matter now. How we behave? No, okay. When we repent and turn from our sinful ways and give our lives to Jesus, it's a once-for-all act. Our status is changed. We're born again. We were dead. 
We are regenerate. We're born again. And our status changes and cannot be changed back. All right? So we would preach, I would preach, that once you are saved, you're saved. Okay? And then you can see the evidence and fruit of that in people's lives. If people say they're saved and their life doesn't change, I wonder if they're saved. Because if they're saved, they have an appetite for God and hunger and thirst after him. And his his sheep hear his voice. And they want to say, I want to become like Jesus because Jesus now is the one that I live for. And so you expect to see that. So when people say, yeah, hands up for Jesus, I'm saved and nothing changes. I think, well, I don't know if that really was a genuine salvation experience. But there's a once for all salvation experience. Once you are saved, anybody in this room, do you ever make any more mistakes? I do, ladies and gentlemen, through ignorance, through weakness, and through my own deliberate faults, as any good Anglicans here will remember. (laughs) Okay? And uh, what an irresponsible, immature person is going to say, but that's not my responsibility. It's all right, God, you've forgiven me. (laughs) I hate it. I actually find it revolting to treat God in that way. What, what sort of person? I'm speechless. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to continue to sin. That doesn't affect our salvation, but it does affect our relationship. Yeah? So right after the Lord's Prayer, you see these verses. Read it for yourself. Right after the Lord's Prayer, it says, and I've, I've preached on this quite recently, where uh, Jesus says, Look, hey, if you don't forgive, then your heavenly Father won't forgive you. And you think, well, that's a strange verse, but he's talking to his children. He's talking to those that are his. And he's saying, look, if you continue to hold people in unforgiveness, you are not going to know the peace of your own forgiveness. All right? Not, well, then, obviously, I'm not going to forgive you and you won't be saved. No, he's talking to his children. But you're not going to live in the good of it. So there are consequences for not taking responsibility for your behavior in this life. There are consequences for that. And to preach a gospel that says that we don't have to worry about that is, I think, a shocking underappreciation of the holiness of God. We are princes and princesses. Amen? We are royalty. Let's behave like it. Live up to your high calling. Don't behave like gutter snarks. Live like a prince. Live like a prince. The royal family is supposed to be the standard. And we are of the king of kings. We will show people how to live a good life. We will show people how to live a godly life. Right, I did this earlier as well. I spent all that time on my uh, introduction. I haven't even done my sermon yet. I'll be very quick. Turn to uh, chapter 6 and verse 1. Okay, here we go. Four, four different responses to sin and repentance. Number one, chapter 6, verse 1. The ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines for seven months. Okay? Seven months, they sort of looked at it and thought, what are we going to do? And they said, all right, we're going to send it back. And so then, verse 8, they, they took the ark of the Lord and placed it on the cart, put a box at its side, sent it off on its way. If it goes up one way to its own land, to Beth Shemesh, this is verse 9, then it is he who has done us his great harm, God. If not, then we shall know it's not his hand, it's just happened by coincidence. Hey, don't gamble with God. All right? Don't gamble with God. Don't gamble with sin. 
These guys were gambling with sin. They say, right, okay, you know, let's, let's see what happens here. We'll do this. Let's see what the outcome is. All right, maybe, uh, you know, maybe it was just, you know, bad luck. Or maybe actually God was against us. I don't want you to be gambling with God on these things. Okay? Bank on God. There's a difference. Gambling is you risk something. You risk it. If I behave in this way, maybe God will let me off. I might get away with it. God's a loving God. I might get away with it. You know, or, uh, or God will understand. You know, I was lonely. I was desperate. Whatever. You know, God will understand. Don't gamble with God. Okay? You bank on God. So I'm going to put all my chips on God. <laughs> I'm banking. I'm going to put it all in there. It's safe. It's safe there. Okay? Don't gamble with the consequences of sin. If you know that your behavior or your attitude is wrong, deal with it. Don't sit there and think, well, you know, I'll take my chances. You know, I think about this uh, situation I was describing earlier. and say, oh, it doesn't matter if we don't have to uh, keep groveling back to God. And I'm thinking, well, it's my responsibility as a teacher. Who will be incidentally judged more strictly than any of you because I'm responsible for teaching the word of God to you? It's my responsibility to just stand before God and say, right, God will say, what did you teach about repentance? And I said, well, I said it's a very healthy thing to do a lot of self-maintenance on this, you know. Uh, but there are one or two people who said to me, it didn't matter, you just sort of carry on the way. And God will say, well, did you warn them? And I said, I did warn them. Yeah, I did. <laughs> and then that person will have a com- uh, an uncomfortable conversation with God when it comes to their day of judgment. Okay? Don't gamble with God. Okay? You, God, when you were saved, God restored your conscience. It's one of the, one of the gifts of salvation is that your conscience begins to speak again of what is right and what is wrong. It's not thoroughly reliable because our hearts can deceive us, right? which is why we need the Bible to help us. Right, hang on, let's check my conscience against the truth. That's why we help one another. I'll talk to my friends, see what they say. My Bible-believing friends who are going to tell me the truth, not just what my itching ears want to hear. You've got leaders that love you that hopefully you'll learn to trust, who can speak into your life, not because they want to be a killjoy, but because they want you to come into the fullness of the freedom of the gospel. Okay? And then you get all of the, and then, then you can start to say, right, okay, now this is the course of action that is right to take. Don't gamble on it. Don't think, oh, I'll risk it. I'll take it. I'll take this, and hopefully God will forgive me, and we'll all be okay. That is not an attitude that shows that you are taking God seriously. Okay? Secondly, these poor old guys in, uh, you've got to feel a little bit sorry for them, but God did tell them not to do it, I guess. So verse 19, he struck some of the men of Beth Shemesh because they looked upon the ark of the Lord. He struck 70 men of them, and the people mourned because the Lord has struck people with a great blow. Don't take God's forgiveness for granted. Don't take God's holiness for granted. Don't treat God lightly. They were treating God lightly. Hey, the Ark of the Covenant is back. Oh, let's have a quick look. Oh. God said, don't do that. All right? God said, don't do that. Don't try it. God's not your mate. All right? It's a beautiful balance we have to maintain that God is our tender, loving Father who wants to draw us very, very close. That's true. God is also a God of holy fire. We have to respect and acknowledge. 
and bow down before. And we've got to hold these two together. The friendship and the fear is a beautiful song someone wrote once. Got to hold that together. You can overbalance one way, matey God. You know, have a little peep in the ark. Whee, doesn't matter. Or you can overbalance the other way, and it's like, oh, God's this strict head teacher in heaven who tells us off all the time. You know, no, you've gone too far the other way there. You've got to find this balance in the middle. Yeah, it's your heavenly father. But man, do you respect him? Yes, you do. You respect him. Don't mess about with him. Don't treat him lightly. Thirdly, 7 verse 2. They finally find somewhere to put this uh, troublesome ark. And um, it was left with uh, in Kiriath, this place. And uh, they left it there for 20 years, a long time passed, while they were sort of lamenting, oh dear, all this has happened, it's really bad. And for 20 years, this thing was sat there. I think I have observed over the years, Christians can embrace the forgiveness of God. It's the forgiveness of God. They can uh, receive all the benefits of their salvation and then do nothing for 20 years. They do nothing with it. They just turn up. You sit there, just turn up. Oh, I've got busy with my career. Whew, dear, I had to pay my mortgage. And then family came along. Whoa, whoa, you know, all that. And, uh, yeah, no, I, I go to church. It's good. I like the church. It's really nice. And, um, you know, I, I help out where I can. Now, I, my appeal to you, friends, is God has a much richer destiny for your life than you dare allow yourself to believe. And it has got much more value than just appearing to be a successful person. Okay? God's destiny is much more precious than appearing to be a successful person. I've done well in business. I've got a good car and a great house. shows the blessing of God. That means nothing compared to the rich destiny and purpose that God has for your life. That's just the stuff that happens while we're here. All right? <laughs> and some of us get uh, wealthy, rich, and wise, and billions don't. And you can't tell me that God's not as interested in their lives just because we happen to live in a prosperous culture. Yeah? God evaluates steadfastness, obedience, and fulfillment and fruitfulness in very different ways to the ways this world and, sadly, many churches would attempt to evaluate it. Okay, I want you to know what is a fruit-bearing destiny for your life because I believe this church is much more than this precious community that I love with all my heart. I believe it is an agent of change for this community. God can change the world in Ipswich through his people and God can affect the nations of the world through this church he has a very, very rich destiny for each and every one of us. You didn't choose him. Don't think you were clever enough to work this out. He chose you. Okay? And he appointed you to bear fruit that will endure. And I am jealous for that fruit. <laughs> for the purposes of God, for the sake of his kingdom, for the sake of his fame, for the sake of his glory, for the sake of your fulfillment, for the sake of you being able to arrive on that day and say, I've been poured out like a drink offering, and you're going to hear the most precious words a man or woman can ever hear from the lips of Jesus when he says, well done, 
good and faithful servant. Well done. Well done. Don't you want to hear those words? What's our reward in heaven? People say, what's our reward in heaven? That's my reward. I don't need anything else. I don't need anything else. I want the king. Well done. That's it. What you don't want is the king saying, well, I'm glad that you responded to uh, my free gift of grace, but it's a shame you sat on your backside for 40 years. (laughs) I don't want to hear that. God's got a rich destiny for every one of you. These guys here, I think they missed it a bit. 20 years. They were still compromised. They still had other gods. They were sort of mixing it a bit. They were mixing it a bit. You know, they were... And it was 20 years later, Samuel then calls them finally, finally, finally together in chapter 7 and verse 6. And he says, come on, get rid of all that stuff. Gather all Israel and I'll pray to the Lord for you. They gathered, drew water, poured out before the Lord, fasted. We've sinned. And he judged them. And then, and then he said, you know, get rid of all of that stuff in your life and turn to the Lord with all of your heart. This is Repentance. I am, I am going to give my, I'm surrendering to God. I'm giving it all over to him now. I'm not holding anything back. So my concluding comments to you here is where are you with repentance? Where are you? I just want you to just reflect a moment or two on this. I'm not here to guilt trip you. I'm not here to put false guilt on you. I'm here to help you self-maintain a mature and healthy relationship with God and fulfill your full potential in Christ. I'm here to help nail your first repentance if you've never done that. If you've never turned to Jesus in sorrow and tears and said, I'm so sorry that I've lived my own life and I want to turn my back on that now. I'm going to turn to you, Jesus, because you're the only one who has the words of eternal life. And I want to help you take sin seriously in your life. If you take sin seriously, it shows you take God seriously. If you treat sin lightly, you're not taking God seriously. You're not. Honestly, you're not. If you're not living under fear of sin, condemnation of sin, that's not what we're asking for. But you're just taking sin seriously. And I don't want to live like that. I want to live like Jesus. I'm unsatisfied with that. I was satisfied with that. I had a beautiful text from one of my sons. He said, I've had a bad week. I said, why have you had a bad week? He said, well, no, it's not really I've had a bad week. It's just I really feel God put his finger on something in my life and I've got to deal with it. You know? And I just thought, Jesus, that's a man on a mature journey. You know? So I'm going to invite the worship band to come back. And just as we bow our heads together now, just as your heads are bowed, I want you to appeal to your own conscience. Your conscience is your gift. As I say, we can't 100% rely on it. We test it against the word of God, against wise counsel. But just allow your conscience to uh, just speak to you for a moment. and Just say to God, God, is there any offensive way in me? Because Jesus, I don't want to tolerate anything offensive. You're a loving father. You've got the 
best of intentions for me in all things. Why would I want to indulge behaviour that you hate? Why would I want to do that? And you're a holy, holy God. And I want to live up to your holy ambitions for my own life as a royal son, as a royal daughter. I don't want to muck about with muck and grime and all that stuff. I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to do that anymore, Jesus. Come and purify my heart. Come and cleanse me from within. Come and refine me. Come and scrape off the scum. Refine the gold in my life. I want to become more and more like you. I don't want to take sin lightly, God. It cost your son his life. I want to treat it lightly. I want to see it and I want to chase it down. Not because my relationship with you depends on it, but because it is the right and proper response to a king who laid his life down for me. I'm not going to bear with this any longer. So just to ask yourself, is there any offensive way, any attitude, any besetting habit Jesus do? Would he do that? Any selfish ambition? No, don't want that anymore, Jesus. As we sing this song, I just encourage you out of love and out of fatherly, tender kindness, I encourage you, go and do business with God. Go to him. Ask him to forgive you for your selfish, rebellious ways. Say, no, I don't want to live like that anymore. You've delivered me from that, Jesus. I don't want to live like that anymore. I don't want to live like the pagans. I want to be like you, Jesus, in all these things. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content.